Good morning and welcome to worship. It's good to see everybody this Lord's Day. I'll take a moment today and I'm going to go ahead and read our preparation for worship. Please just listen as the psalmist wrote in Psalm 26. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar. O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. And I pray that that will take place today, that we will be able to bless the Lord. Let me welcome you, and if you're here visiting with us, we've had several throughout our open-air services. We want you to be a part. We, do, we did have some bulletins up here. If there's not enough, please share around with others so they can see the songs. And you can also get it online. For those of you who know, Christy sends it out ahead of time as we're meeting. You're welcome to just bring it and look at it online. But we'd love for you to follow along with us so that you can be a part of worship rather than just listening to us entertain you as we go through the service. I want to say thanks again to everybody who's still been helping uh, with all the Bible studies, especially the green team. For those of you who don't realize that every week throughout, uh, we don't realize that during the pandemic, the grass didn't slow down and the weeds didn't stop and uh, the rain didn't you know, quit on us, uh, except for today. But uh, they've been busy at it. And if you look around and see the importance of the grounds, let me just say thanks to the green team uh, who have faithfully done it. I want to say thanks to everybody helping with our fun days. Uh, we've had two weeks already of our fun days, and we've had visiting families come. We've had over 40 people here Wednesday enjoying the activities and a two-hour fun time. Our teenagers have been plugging in and helping individually with the kids through crafts and activities. And so if you have neighbors that want to come, it's Wednesdays all month long at 9 in the morning. We meet, and we meet at the fire pit for Bible studies, and we meet downstairs for crafts. We meet out here in the field. We've turned it into kind of a camp format. And uh, just had a wonderful time with our children. So please, got the whole month to invite your neighbors at some point to say, hey, come enjoy a fun day and let us share the gospel with them. So we appreciate everyone who's been a part of that as well. We also have the elder meeting this coming Tuesday. We have a lot that's going to be on the, the docket for us. So pray, pray for your elders. Uh, hopefully they've been in contact with you. If not, hopefully they'll be calling you soon. We want to keep up with everybody and make sure that everybody's still hanging in there and going forward and if there's anything we can do to minister to you we want to know that uh, even though we can't get out and visit it doesn't mean we can't pray and support you and, and still be a part of the community together as we go forward so please pray for your elders as they will go forward still with vision and new members and dealing with racial reconciliation that's gone on there's a lot your elders have been praying about as a vision as we go forward. And so just pray for them and lift them up as we meet this coming Tuesday. So other than that, I'd like to lead us to the throne of grace and uh, let me pray for us. And if you would, join with me in the Lord's Prayer. You'll see it there in your bulletin. And we can join together in the Lord's Prayer. Let me do it. Heavenly Father, again, we are so thankful for your providential care. Father, Lord, just the way you have looked out for your church, not just us, but, Father, the church worldwide. That, Lord, we've been able to continue ministering, sharing the gospel, communing with one another. Father, it's amazing for those who understand the spiritual blessings, that understands the presence of the Holy Spirit, how it changes how we see things 
that are taking place. Father, I pray here this morning as we wrestle with some of the hardest scriptures about faithfulness and serving, that, Lord, you would work within our hearts and our minds. Let us set aside all things so that we can focus on your inerrant word and what it means for us and how we can serve you more faithfully. Father, we also know that there are many who have been sick. We have surgeries that are up and coming. We have those that are going through recoveries. Lord, we just pray that you'll continue to be with them. We reach out to them. Our hearts are with them. Lord, as we gather here together, I pray that you'll be with those who are watching online, that you'll feed them as well here this morning. But Lord, all of this we know it's because of your grace. We haven't earned it. We don't deserve it. We've done nothing for the approval of it. Father, we just know we can come boldly to the throne of grace because of your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as he has opened the way for us, we come boldly to pray as you taught us, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debts. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Let me call us to worship. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. If you would turn with me to the second page of your bulletin, we have the privilege to confess our common faith together. Today we'll be using the Westminster Confession of Faith on the topic of sanctification. So I ask you, Christian, what do you believe? They who are once effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them, are further sanctified, really and personally through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection, by his word and spirit dwelling in them. The dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed, and the several lusts thereof are more and more weakened and mortified, and they more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving graces to the practice of true holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Now let's take time to confess our sins together by using this prayer. Please join with me with the prayer of your bulletin. Merciful God, we humble ourselves in your presence, confessing our unworthiness and sinfulness in your sight. We have broken your holy law. We have not sought first your kingdom and righteousness. We have been anxious and troubled about many things and have neglected the things that belong to our people. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves, nor done to others as we would that they should do to us. Most gracious God, our Heavenly Father, who has given your Son, Jesus Christ, to save your people from their sins, forgive us, we beseech you. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and renew a right spirit within us. Through the grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, hear the promise of God's word, the assurance of pardon, from Psalm 85. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. This is the gospel that Jesus took 
God's anger, the anger that we deserve to take. So if you're looking to Christ, if you're trusting in him, if, if you have cast yourself on the mercy of God and Christ, on the authority of God's word, I tell you the good news that your sins are forgiven. Be encouraged, be blessed, and continue and worship this morning. The music team is going to come back up as we sing Standing on the Promises. Amen. If you would take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We've been studying all about what it means to be effective in ministry or how to be effective for God, how to be useful, how to know that we're making a difference. Does my life really matter? So I want to challenge you this morning. It's a very tough passage for many people. Uh, it can be a challenging section of Scripture where we find ourselves being confronted with a truth that so many of us face today. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes the Corinthians on a little excerpt in the middle of this epistle, of this letter. And he goes from telling them all about what it means to be working together and serving God to, be, to the point where he says, now let's talk about the way you live. If you're going to be effective for God, and you're going to be effective in ministry, it does determine how you live. You cannot be a Christian and live as though you're not. We all know what it's like to have the one day a week Christians. We all know what it's like to be fed once or twice a year. We live in a generation today where church or worship has become something we do rather than someone we are. You see, worship should be something that affects every part of our life. We can worship at work. We can worship and play. We can worship at any time of the day. But we're living in a world that's challenging us, challenging our effectiveness. And so this morning I want to challenge you with Paul's writings in chapter 6 about what it really means to protect God's temple. I'm not talking about the building. I'm not talking about our premises. I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about what Paul says, where the Holy Spirit lives, and that since the Holy Spirit lives in us, how in the world can we claim to be Christian and not be different than the surroundings about us? So here's what he writes. Follow along. I'm going to take you on a journey. You can write these down as we go about how protecting the temple is so important. Why? Because if we're not protecting the temple, we're going to be ineffective in several ways. One, we're going to be inconsistent. We're going to be incompatible. We're going to be irreconcilable. And most importantly, it's going to be inconclusive about who you are. So listen to what he says. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, 
and they shall be my people. We have all kinds of quotations that are coming from Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And so if you want to go back and see this wonderful uh, list of scriptures that he employs to us, he's reminding us that God has been the same since the beginning. And I want you to pray for me as we go through this because it's not easy to speak about how other people should live. I do remind you that this is not straight from grace. This is straight from the word. It is not my expectations for you. They're God's. But I want to be able to speak the boldness, as Paul prayed, as we ought to speak. I did not stay up at night thinking of any of you individually. And I don't plan today to point any of you out, unless you're sleeping. So bear with me as we look at the lives of so many of us who have found ourselves to be inconsistent, incompatible, at times we feel irreconcilable, and to the rest of the world, it's inconclusive as to whether or not we belong to God. So it begins, first and foremost, do not be unequally yoked. It's inconsistent. Write that down. He begins with the very first part of the phrase about what it means to be inconsistent. If you're to look this up and realize what it means, inconsistency is to be at variance with the principles or conduct. There is no way that we can be unequally yoked and be consistent. We are working with two different sets of principles. We are working with two different sets of moral conduct, of understanding of truths, whether they're absolute or relative. So Paul immediately writes to these Corinthians and says, you know, we're talking about the validity of ministry, and you're questioning whether or not I am an apostle. And he turns the table back and he says, you know what, let's forget apostleship for just a minute and let's talk about what it means in discipleship. Let's talk about what it means to follow Christ. Let's quit pointing fingers at everybody else's life. Let's quit talking about all the things that are going on in society and let's take a moment and look inside here. And he does that to the Corinthians and says, look inside the inconsistency of your life. The unequally yoked goes clear back to the days of Babylon, when God calls his people out. We'll see that later on in the text. When God calls his people to separate themselves from the idols, the practices, the beliefs and principles of this world. He has not asked that you be taken out of the world. Let me remind you, in Jesus' high priestly prayer, he said, Father, I ask not that you take them out of this world but that you protected them. Because you have a job to do. And you need to be effective at what it is you do. You need to be effective at evangelism. You need to be effective at ministry. You need to be effective at disciple making. You need to be effective at expanding and furthering the kingdom. And Jesus has personally prayed that you not be taken out of the world, but that you be protected and able to do it. So he says, do not be unequally yoked. Now, you all know what that is. I won't bore you all day on what it means to be yoked together. The Greek word is two actual words here, heteros, if you wish to say, and mazuk. One is just simply a yoke. But the heteros is what makes it so interesting. 
It's the definition throughout Scripture of another kind or different. The heteros. When we speak of something being different, we would say if you had a basket of fruit, hey, would you hand me an apple, please? And if you turned around and said, well, could I have another? I would hand you another apple. But in the Greek, you could say, no, hand me a heteros, which means another of a different kind. Don't give me another apple. Let me have a banana. I would know what you were asking for. And what Paul is writing here saying is, let's not have a yoke with something of another or different kind. That's how he labels unbelievers. They're of a whole different kind. Better yet, we should say that maybe it's the Christian that is different of another kind. To be unequally yoked is that analogy that we get throughout Scripture where now, bear with me, you have an ox on one side and a donkey on another, and they're yoked together with this piece of wood. It's not just the wood that lays aside. There's a harness that goes around them, around their neck and shoulders. And it is on this yoke in which those two animals will pull this thing forward to stay on track. Now, some of you don't have oxes or donkeys in your backyard. It's hard to picture what happens when you put the two together. It's not because the ox is better. Depends on what your use is. It's not because he's larger. It's not because one is dumber than the other. Though we might picture relationships like that. The truth of it is, it's just one is so much bigger and stronger than the other and works at a much faster pace that if you yoke the two of them together, you constantly veer off track. You're constantly moving to one direction and it takes a lot of work to bring it back. It's not that it won't work at all. Folks, if you've been unequally yoked, you know what I'm talking about. We live in a world of unequally yoked partnerships, relationships, family members. It doesn't mean they can't work. It just means they don't work very well. That's what Paul's writing about. You see, when the ox begins to pull and he's much faster and stronger, it begins to turn the car a whole different direction. And you begin to get rows that don't make sense. And if you try to correct it, then the rows come back. And before long, you've got a mess in the field. If I were to use this in a modern-day parable, I'm not Jesus. I don't have great ones. But let me put it this way. If you were to take your car to the mechanic and you said to the mechanic, Man, I want to change the size of my tires. They might say, okay, I want to go from these little Super 12s I got, those of you in the 80s and Ford Fiestas, you know what I'm talking about. What, what is now some of your spare tires used to be the hot rod tires on ours. But you say to that mechanic, I want to put some off-size tires on my car. Well, what size do you want? I want 36-inch tires. The big monster truck type. Oh, it may look funny, but he'll put them on. And then when you go back to them and you say, you know what, I've changed my mind. I want the ox tires in the back and the donkey tires in the front. No problem. You might even put the ox tires in the front. Some people like that better. The point is it still goes straight. One can push the other or pull the other. It's still going straight. But how many of you have ever went to your mechanic and said, hey, man, I want to do something different. I want to put 36-inch tires on the right. 20-inch tires on the left. Have you ever seen a car like that? I mean, it's not in the ditch. 
Because you understand the ox and the donkey analogy is if you put larger tires on one side than on the other, you're constantly going to fight this car down the road. It's constantly going to swerve one way. It's not going to stay on track, and you're going to spend your days wrestling with keeping this car on the road. That's what it means to yoke together with something unequal. It's inconsistent. And most mechanics that know better would say, you're absurd. You're going to cause a wreck. This isn't right. Oh, you may make it for a while, but it's not going to last. And so Paul's writing about this inconsistency, and he says, folks, listen, we're unable to stay on track when we yoke up with unbelievers. We're unable to keep things straight when we partner up with those of a different mindset. It's inconsistent with who we are, our principles, and our conduct. And you're constantly going to be swayed and pushed out of alignment. And so you will spend your days constantly trying to realign with Christ rather than going forward and being effective in ministry. So Paul writes to them and he says, first and foremost, we need not be inconsistent. But he goes farther. It's not just yoking up. He goes farther and he says it's about being incompatible. He begins to list these. Listen to what he says. What partnership? That's what he uses the word. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? I don't want to bore you all day with this, but these are amazing words. Do you know throughout this entire chapter we're using words that are synonymous with just a little deeper and twist to the meaning? It would be like someone you're talking to today that said, man, isn't it beautiful outside? Oh, man, this is awesome. You see those cars? Yeah, those are awesome. Didn't the green team do a good job? Aren't they what? Awesome. And the music today was what? Awesome. And the sermon, it was what? I better hear you. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I, I led you right down that one. Those were off-type tires leading the way. But pretty soon it gets redundant. You think to yourself, man, if everything's awesome, then nothing's really what? Awesome. Everything is just the same. There's no communication. And that's what's happening in the words that are used here when he says, What partnership does righteousness have with lawlessness? Now catch this. The righteousness is the one that comes from this word partnership of Yuish Matake, which just simply says this. There is no fellowship of working together. They cannot exist together. That's what it means to partner up. It's not going to exist. It's not going to stay. And so Paul writes and he says when we're unequally yoked, not only are we inconsistent, but we're incompatible. The righteous person is the one. Think about this. Here's by definition of righteous. You've conformed your lives to the claims of a higher power, one of absolute truth. That's a righteous person. You're living and you've conformed your life to the principles or the conduct of a higher power. For the one who is lawlessness... They've conformed their life to the standards and principles of self. There is no higher law. So when you're unequally yoked, you're working together with someone who's going to make every decision based on what suits them best. What's in it for me? Oh, if that's not the greatest business deal we've ever made. Well, I'll scratch your back if you what? Yeah. You see, the, the person of lawlessness is not concerned about anything but themselves. And when we yoke up with someone who is only concerned about themselves, how are we ever going to continue to live for Jesus Christ? Because there's going to come those days 
in which you want to serve God and they want to serve self. And the only time they have to serve self is going to be on Sunday. And Sunday is the day that God has asked us to set aside as one day a week. And yet, wait a minute, if we're going to yoke up together, you know what? I guess I can just love God every day. Is that not right? I guess I'll just worship every day of the week. I guess I'll just use the times that I have throughout the week because Jesus knows my heart. And what's really happened is because you're incompatible, you would begin to compromise. And the person who is living for self wins out over the person who claims to have the truths of a higher power. You become incompatible. You begin to wrestle. You begin to argue. You begin to fight. And you begin to challenge whose truths are right. Well, if you can be so happy living for yourself, maybe I ought to let go of the conduct of a higher power and truth and just serve myself. You know why? Let me give you the panache of all answers. We've all heard it. It's better to just keep the peace. I'd rather be incompatible and ineffective and just keep the peace. Is that the picture of holiness? He begins to use another analogy that comes out. Listen to what he says when we're not conforming to the claims of the thing. He says this, what fellowship has light with darkness? He goes a little bit farther. The word koinonia is now used. That's the Greek word, not from partnership, if you wish. He's now using the word that implies with it a little bit of communion and intimacy together. When we talk about having fellowship in the body of Christ, it's because we have an intimacy, a closeness. We commune together. We share things a little more with one another than those outside. And Paul writes and he says, What communion, oneness, or fellowship can darkness have with light? There's no way. We're right back to the same conclusion, that this is incompatible. How many of you have ever been in a room that's both light and dark? You want me to give you an example of how light and dark work together and what the outcome is? Raise your hand. You see who's listening. Some of you are sleeping in the wonderful air. Here's how light and dark work together. You know how it is in Scripture. Darkness is that picture of that which is against God. Light, Jesus himself, is the light of the world. It casts out the darkness. When you put the two together, only one can win. They cannot exist together. You can't walk into a room and have both light and dark. So you might say, well, yeah, but, you know, we go through different rooms in the house, and some are light and some are dark. I mean, things, you can make that work. Well, let me tell you how you make it work. Here's what I want you to do on the way home today. I want you to get in your car and go your normal speed down the highway, minus about 20. And while you're driving home, I want you to do this, darkness for three seconds. And then I want you to open your eyes back up for three seconds. And then I want you to close them again for three seconds. And I want you to go all the way home, except for the swastika. They could probably get there in three seconds of a blink. But folks, that sounds foolishness. That's what they're saying. Is what communion is that? Who in their right mind would spend their lives going like this? Hey, how's everybody doing today? It's so wonderful to see you. Oh, yeah, and by the way, we've got some great things happening today. You ought to be a part of it. And listen, when I get that, you'd be thinking, what are you doing? And who in their right mind would drive a car with light and darkness? 
they cannot coincide together. And so Paul writes and he says this, it is no fellowship of communing, it's one or the other. Listen to what 1 John writes. Take your Bible and flip back just a few chapters before the book of Revelation. You'll see the writings of the Apostle John. In 1 John chapter 1, he has this wonderful, wonderful section of light and dark. Let me just read it. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship, that's the same word, koinonia, with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. There is no fellowship with light and darkness. So it's not just that it's inconsistent and incompatible, but he goes a little farther and listen to this. It's irreconcilable. By definition, they're unable to be harmonized. They're diametrically opposed. They can't be brought into harmony. If you want to know what the Greek word for some phonesis is, it's where we get the word symphony. When you bring a symphony together, it's because you're able to bring into one accord those that belong together. This is the word that implies when you put two things together that cannot be reconciled, they are not symphonic. They cannot work. They're opposed. And they're irreconcilable. And so listen to what he says. What accord? That's the word that is used. We just said it from a symphony. What accord has Christ with Belial? Throughout its tradition, you can go back and look. It's probably a reference to Satan. Can you imagine that? That you can say, yeah, well, we're unequally yoked. It's, it's no different than when Jesus and Satan are side by side. There's nothing wrong with being unequally yoked. I mean, there's nothing wrong. I mean, Jesus and Satan, they lived in heaven together, right? No. Do you remember the story when they did live together? What happened? Eventually, one got what? Cast out. Isn't that amazing? There are certain things between Christians and non-Christians that are irreconcilable. Let me give you one. Your salvation and righteousness will not save your partner. Now, through you, the grace of Jesus Christ might become visible and evident to save your partner. But you are not in the business of rescuing people to go to heaven. And yet so many people believe that over time, things will be different. Let me tell you why. Because deep down in, there really is a good person. Do you believe scripture? If you believe scripture, we are told this, that each and every one of us are born what? Sinners. Do you know what really is deep down inside an unbeliever? It's the darkness, the inconsistent, 
the incompatible and the irreconcilable relationship they do not have with God. And we think that's going to work together. The world says it's okay. Here's what the world says. It doesn't matter as long as you love. And these are tough. He brings in these same words to challenge us. James chapter 4 simply says this. Not only is there no agreement between Satan and Jesus, there's no accord. Listen to what he says in James 4.4. He said, if you're friends of the world, you're an enemy of God. If you're friends of the world, you're an enemy of God. Now, he's not saying you can't love creation. He's not saying you can't evangelize people. He's not saying others weren't created in his image. What he's saying is when you get hooked up with the world and want to be like the world and want to be in the world and want to be just like the world so that you can enjoy the world, you're going to be an enemy of God. It's only a matter of time until the fruits show forth where the roots really are. So he writes and he says, we cannot be on both sides of the fence. Obviously. And more importantly, you can't be on top of the fence. There's no way to be lukewarm. John writes us and tells us that it's a matter of hot or cold. That the person who is lukewarm, the person who is compromised, who has become incompatible, who has become inconsistent, and is about to be irreconcilable, is the person who's lukewarm. Now catch this. You can't be on both sides of the fence. And you can't be on top of the fence. But brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. You don't want to be on the wrong side of the fence. It might look greener on the other side. But on the wrong side of the fence, it's irreconcilable. You're headed to the place for those who are unbelievers. Oh, these are harsh words. He goes a little bit farther using the exact same term as he uses for accord when he says, not only is it Christ and Belial, but you can go down in verse 16 and he uses the same thing when he says it's the agreement, which is the same word as accord there, as the temple of God with idols. Isn't that amazing? How many of you would love to walk into our church when we return from the pandemic situation to see the brand new pool table we have in the front foyer. We've turned the welcome center into a nice full-fledged bar. That's right. We've got a few foosball tables up on stage. We've got a little karaoke machine to replace the music team. You know why? Because when you come to the house of God, we want it to feel just like the world. We want it to be familiar because we don't want you to have to leave the world. We don't want you to have to make a decision, and we don't want it to be tough. We want you to come and be in the house of God and feel like you're in the midst of the world. Heaven forbid we don't want you to get upset. Not like us. You might leave and quit tithing. So we fix that too. We put a big sign that said, you may leave, but put your money at the door. 
donations accepted. These are the words that Paul is using, not me. He's trying to say from the very beginning, this is inconsistent. It's unheard of. How is it that we as Christians can yoke up with people who are unchristian and not just in relationships of marriage? Folks, it carries over into partnerships and to work relationships and to understandings in ministry. It begins to impact every part of your life. To be unequally yoked means you're going to spin your life in an inconsistent way. You're going to be incompatible as you go down the road. And then you're going to realize eventually it's irreconcilable. There's no way to fix it. It's either their way or mine. It's a multimillionaire that built our church when we were in North Carolina. Shared the story. He's been retired. He's built a many of churches. He's helped insurance companies. We had just got done building our sanctuary, and insurance showed up at my door. Brotherhood Mutual, those of you who know, said, Pastor Jerry, I got a question for you. I said, what's that? He said, I heard you have someone that helps build churches real cheap. I said, well, yeah. He said, well, I got an issue. Can you help me? I said, what's that? He said, we had a driver run off the road, and it ran smack dab into this little church going up toward Albemarle, North Carolina. The problem was that the way the laws were written is that if this church ever got hit and had to be rebuilt, it had to be moved back off the highway. And so insurance was being forced to build an entire new church about 35 feet back from the one that existed. And so they came to ask Brother Stan, who is now with the Lord, if he would help. And he had spent his life serving the Lord faithfully, and he decided he would help. It's Stan, the one that helped build all this, that shared the story. I said, Mr. Stan, how is it that you got to the place you are as a contractor? He said, Jerry, I struggled for the longest time in life because I joined a partnership with someone that I was incompatible with. I said, what do you mean, Mr. Stan? He said, we went into business together, and every time I turned around, he was wanting to do one thing while I was trying to do another. He had a vision to accomplish certain things when I had a vision to accomplish something else. And we began to butt heads, and so he began to just not work on certain things, and I began to pull extra weight, almost like the ox and the donkey. I said, well, Mr. Stan, how did you handle it? He said, I came home one day from work and decided it wasn't worth the money anymore. And I looked him in the eyes, sat him down in the office, and I said, we've come to a place that's irreconcilable. Here's the option. You can either buy my half out, take the business, and go your direction. Or you can give me a price, I'll buy you out, and I'll take it my direction. Two and a half weeks went by, he showed up, he said, Mr. Stan, if you'll give me this much money, you can have. He said, Jerry, that was the first step toward becoming a multimillionaire where I could spend my days building churches for the kingdom of the Lord. You see, it's amazing how we live our lives in inconsistency. How we're willing to put up with all kinds of incompatibility. We'll even go so far as to live with things irreconcilable. The problem listen to what he says it finally comes down to where he says the importance 
when he reminds us about how we are living as Christians, what accord does a believer share with an unbeliever? What accord? Isn't that an amazing word, same synonymous word that we've had before? Here's what he's comparing. It's this word for maris, which means, listen to this, it's a portion. What portion does a person of faith have with one without faith? Throughout Scripture, it's used in the judicial sense of the dividing up of land. When people would begin to divide or argue over what would be divided, and they would have to go before the judicial system and they would have to say, I'm sorry, you have no portion, no merits with this. You deserve nothing of this inheritance. Paul writes and he says, there is no portion that can be shared between a Christian and a non-Christian. The words that are used here for the word believer is the verb form of the noun pistis. I shared with you once before in my classes, they got mad at me one time. I said, isn't it amazing how pistis you can get at somebody? That's the, the word for faith. It's the Greek word faith. You're going to get mad at someone say, I'm pissed off at you. That means I got a lot of faith in you. But that's the word that is used here. He says, what portion can someone who has faith be with someone who is apisuo, who has no faith, the opposite of faith? There's no way they can share. You can't show up as a, a, a child at a funeral and when they're dividing up a portion of the inheritance say, oh look, I know the children are getting this, but can we have some too? That's what Paul's writing. How can you as a child of God expect some of the portion to be shared with an unbeliever? They don't even belong to the family. They're not even children of God. And we're going to ask them to divide it up? Well, it's an amazing amount. Hebrews 11.6, write it down and keep it. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. One must first come to God believing that He already exists. Now catch this. And He rewards those that diligently seek Him. He gives them their portion. You serve God because you know one day you will receive your portion. An unbeliever has no portion. All of a sudden, we come to the last part. Not only is it inconsistent and incompatible, you find yourself irreconcilable, but now catch this. We find our lives being seen by others as inconclusive. I don't know what kind of decision I can make about you. I'm not quite sure whether or not you are a Christian or you're not. I can't quite tell by the way you're living and how it accords with the things that you're saying. You claim to be one thing, but you do something else. You say you believe one thing, but you're acknowledging other things as well. It becomes very inconclusive. People look at your life and they become confused. I thought you were a Christian. Don't you go to church? Oh, I thought you were supposed to love people. You see, the world is constantly trying to make a conclusive decision about you. 
Everywhere you go and everything you do, the world is looking at you. And if you're living a life that's inconsistent and incompatible and irreconcilable, now they've become inconclusive. I have no idea. I, you know, I always thought Pastor Jerry was a good guy. You know, I always thought he was a, a great preacher and he was faithful to the Lord. And I just, I just don't know anymore. I'm not quite sure. The way he treats his kids is totally different than the way he treats the kids at church. The things he says at work, totally different from how he speaks in the pulpit. The love that he shows his own children, so different from the love he talks about with others. Wow. Let me ask you just quickly. Is your life inconclusive? How hard is it for people to look at you and without a doubt say that's a child of God? I can tell just by looking. I can tell by the way they talk. I can tell by the things they do. I can just tell there's something about them that's of another kind. Oh, Paul writes here at the end, we are the temple. We are the temple. The church, conclusive, plural. We are the temple of God. And listen to what he says when things are inconclusive. Are you not God's children? Ask the same question. Do we not belong to God? Do we not have an inheritance? Do we not have a place prepared for us? Is it not going to be a reward awaiting us? All of these questions come, verse 16, when he says this, I will make my dwelling among them. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And then he says this, Therefore, verse 17, Go out from their midst and be Let me paraphrase. You better start making things conclusive. You better stop laughing at the racial slurs. You better stop enjoying the filthy jokes. You better stop joining up with those who are ridiculing everybody else. You should stop encouraging those who are mocking those about us. You see how easy it is to just fit right in? Oh, but I'm a Christian. Paul writes these words. Here's what the Lord says. Separate yourselves. Let me give you a brief line. Write this down in your mind. We all know that the Christian life begins with justification and adoption. And it leads to the process of sanctification and glorification. But in all these wisdom weeks of the pandemic and doing straight from grace, I've come up with another term I think belongs in there. I'm not going to change the order salutis right now. But catch this. According to Paul, it's justification, adoption, and then separation. 
as a part of sanctification and glorification. Because to be holy means to be set apart. You want to be effective in ministry? You've got to be holy. To be a Christian, you've got to be justified. And as you're being sanctified, you've got to become separate. There needs to be a distinction between the believer and the unbeliever. And then he says this, Touch no unclean thing. Another phrase is, Put cleanse yourself. Pastor, what do I do? Stop being inconsistent. Pastor, I'm not sure how I'm going to work through this situation. Stop being incompatible. Pastor, you're asking me to do a whole lot of things. Spent a whole lot of years. Well, it's irreconcilable. It was a wonderful couple, the Bradburys, that came up to me in Alpena, Michigan. We were preaching on the faithfulness to God and what a difference a Christian marriage is. For those of you who've had a non-Christian marriage, got saved and have had a Christian marriage, you know the difference. They came up to me after the service and they had been married almost 50 years. They said, Pastor Jerry, I want you to know that I was unsaved and my spouse was a Catholic and we made it 50 years. I wasn't sure if they wanted me to applaud or, you know, what. And I said, Mr. Bradbury, that's good. He said, well, it wasn't without a lot of headaches. I can't remember everything he said, but I could have given you the list. Oh, we were separated a few times. Our kids were a mess. We had to work through a lot of fiery trials. We've been through the gamut. But, you know, we made it. And then Miss Bradbury looked at me and said, it would have been a world a difference if we would have had Christ at the beginning. Folks, I can only tell you to yoke up with unbelievers it's inconsistent. It's incompatible. It's irreconcilable. And you're going to leave a lot of people inconclusive about who you are. Oh, if you want a picture that's right Katharizmon is the Greek word that means make a clean break. Make sure there's a complete separation. The last time I it broke my clavicle, then several times. The doctor said, Jerry, I'm sorry. You can no longer play football because your clavicle has now had a clean break all the way through. It's been completely separated. And I'm afraid that if it ever comes back together, it won't work right if it's injured again. The Greek word says, if you find yourself compromising, then katharismon. Katharismon. Make a clean break. Don't tell the world, you know what, we can't be so tight. We just need to be good friends. 
Don't tell the world, you know, we're hanging out too much. We need to spend less time together. No, Paul says, if you're going to make a conclusive decision, you've got to say, hey, world, we can't be unequally yoked. The only difference is seen in an effective ministry going forward. Well, let me give you a picture of that. Let me give you a picture of one who was consistent from start to finish. Never joined with the world. Never laughed at its evil jokes, went its evil way. Never gave in. When Belial and Satan tempted him to join together in the desert, he completely separated and made a clean break in the importance of the Word of God. And when he came to the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Irreconcilable. Oh, but for the thief on the cross, it wasn't inconclusive. For the one who claimed Jesus Christ, professed him, and stood there with him, he simply said, This day, you'll be with me in paradise. You want an effective ministry? You've got to be consistent. You want to be fruitful in the ministry as you're going forward? got to do it in a compatible way. You've got to find ways to reconcile. And you've got to make sure that there's no doubt about who you are. Yes, he simply said to Peter, to Doubt and Thomas, to James and John, and to you and I. Who do you say I am? And then he said, if you don't obey me, you cannot be a follower of mine. Heavenly Father, thank you for the pattern, the life, the kingship and lordship of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, when we were with Belial, when we were inconsistent, unlovable, Father, when people looked at us and had no clue where we stood, Father, you demonstrated your love for us and you sent your only son to reconcile us. Lord, I pray here Father, this morning that as we wrestle with being so unequally yoked, which is so acceptable today, that you would reconcile us. That, Lord, you would help us to make a clean break, to make a clear choice, and to separate. Father, what we're praying is for you to help us be holy. For you said you want us to be holy because you are holy. If you have received the benediction, 
And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And God's children said, Amen. Amen. Have a blessed Lord's Day.